Good evening and welcome to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is your weekly public affairs show where we focus on the big issues in city, state and national politics that matter to you. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and each week my co-host, Les Katz-Morstead, and I dive into a range of topics, whether it's about the environment or government or politics or healthcare. And we want to always hear from our WBAI listeners and hear your opinions, which we're going to be doing in the second half of this show today. We will definitely get time to be able to do that today. But first... Please join me in welcoming the ebullient Celeste Katz-Marston. Celeste, how are you doing today? Impressed by how far you are digging into the bottom of the barrel for (laughs) for, uh, descriptives. You're very impressive. Jeff, happy to be here with you today. Absolutely. Look forward to this every single week. It's our it's our one hour together. But of course, folks, Celeste and I do talk, you know, throughout the week and even before the show to go over the type of topics that, you know, we find interesting, but also that our listeners tell us about. Right, Celeste? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know about you, Jeff. I've just been looking over these new stories, new revelations about Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And, you know, we've seen and we've talked about, I think, a little bit here on the program, some of the revelations about his financial disclosures or lack thereof, particularly when it comes to this one uh, wealthy and uh, influential person who's been providing him with uh, travel and vacation accommodations and so on. Claims this person is a family friend who doesn't uh, do business before the court, does not have matters before the court. But, you know, now we're seeing, and again, great reporting here from ProPublica about the fact that uh, this same person, Harlan Crow, has actually apparently underwritten tuition payments for uh, a relative, a young grandnephew of the justices, uh, who he said he was raising as a son. So just really interesting, Jeff, the lack of disclosure there. And um, this is obviously already a big talker, but I don't think this is something that seems to be going away. And it brings up significant ethical issues involving the Supreme Court, and that is definitely something we're going to talk about with our guest coming up in just a short while. Uh, Congressman Dan Goldman is going to be joining us shortly, and that is one of the topics we'll talk about because he's very uh, vocal on the need for ethics reform. Right. Absolutely. And um, I'm looking forward to talking about that. And then, of course, locally, I think everybody's really, really been talking about this this incident, this fatal incident that turns out in the subway system with a 30-year-old man, Jordan Neely, uh, in this chokehold death that has now been ruled a homicide, Jeff. Uh, lots of opinions out there about uh, whether this was appropriate, what should have been done, what should be done about it going forward. We've talked a lot, and very recently, Jeff, about uh, the safety of riders and employees of the transit system in our subways. Just had a whole program about that. But this sheds even more more new light on uh, the situation down there, Jeff. Well, you know, what's been so interesting is uh, in the last, what, 24 hours, Celeste, the medical examiner in the city classified this as a homicide compression of the neck. Uh, It's now sitting with the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg to decide whether to charge the ex-Marine who restrained Jordan Neely. And video, as you noted, video of the encounter is evoking really strong reactions from a range of people, not just elected officials, advocates, many charging this was a lethal overreaction to a person who was experiencing mental illness. I mean, earlier today, uh, or or might have even been yesterday, uh, AOC weighed in uh, in response to the mayor seeming, you know, criticizing his tempered response on this, saying it was a new low. She feels that not being able to clearly condemn a public murder because the victim was of a social status some would deem too low to care about was of concern. And, and earlier today, Celeste, our Governor Hochul also weighed in a little more strongly on this, too, calling this a horrific, a horrific incident. It's it, this is going to continue to make the headlines over not just this week. I think this is going to continue. Well, absolutely. It should, Jeff. And I would agree with you there because this is something that, again, we've been talking about this for quite a while. But the issue of mental health in New York City, when people are uh, suffering from mental illness and need help, but maybe can't get it, or there's an issue of people not wanting to accept help, even though they may need it, but at the same time, balancing out uh, people's fears and uh, these interactions in the subway with people who are 
in need of help. At the same time, at the same time, Jeff, of course, you know, people do have a right to feel safe in the subway. But certainly in this case, people are now talking about vigilantism. Was this reaction? This is a person who was, uh, you know, clearly having some some issues, was acting out, was being loud, but was not necessarily being physically aggressive or violent to people in the subway. A lot of people cleared out of their uh, out of the car, got out of the way, an uncomfortable situation. But uh, the people who were spurred to act to bodily uh, get involved with this with this person, uh, Jordan Neely, um, certainly that is crossing into a different sort of uh, a different sort of involvement, a different level of direct involvement, Jeff. And when we open up, folks, when we open up the phone lines in the second half of the show, this is one of the topics that's less than I would love to hear your thoughts on. It is something that I'm sure you've got a strong opinion on, and we want to know what you have to say about that. If you feel this was an appropriate reaction, if it was an overreaction, you know, and Celeste and I spoke a little before the show, and you know, it, what went through my mind were a number of other incidents that we've report, what we've seen reported on throughout the years, uh, often at the hands of law enforcement that gets a lot more attention in these cases. I think of what was it, Patrick? Was it Patrick Dorismond? I'm trying to think of the names of several of the people. You know, where we have witnessed this, obviously. Uh, this is going to be something that will, as I noted, will continue to make headlines. The other thing, by the way, speaking of headlines, and we will be able to talk a little about this with our guest, is going to be the ongoing uh, uh, trials involving or cases involving Donald Trump. So that is definitely something that we will uh, revisit during the show today. But for now, let us get to our first guest. We've got Congressman Dan Goldman. He represents New York's 10th Congressional District. He is a former federal prosecutor who served as the lead counsel in the first impeachment of former President Donald Trump as a, and as an assistant uh, United States attorney in the Southern District of New York. Briefly, during his 10-year tenure as an assistant U.S. attorney, he focused on organized crime and white-collar prosecutions representing the country in all phases of the federal criminal process from investigations through appeals. And he conducted and supervised hundreds of investigations involving racketeering, murder, money laundering, gun trafficking, firearms, and so much more. He's worked extensively with organizations dedicated to increasing opportunity and bolstering democracy, including Lift Communities, the American Constitution Society, and so much more. You've probably seen him providing expert analysis on a number of topics in the criminal justice reform uh, movement. And since taking office, he has been serving on the Committees on Homeland Security, Oversight, and Accountability and the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. He recently marked his first 100 days in office, and that's what motivated Celeste and I to invite him onto the show today. Congressman Goldman, welcome to WBAI's Driving Forces. Thanks so much, Jeff. Great to be here. So just noted, you just hit your first 100 days. Uh, we you know, happen to notice that you've invested a good amount of time in the district meeting with community leaders. That's not always the case, and some colleagues have been criticized for not devoting as much attention to their home districts. How are things going? Things are going really well. Uh, it's been a, a great first 100 days. Um, we have, I think, hit the ground really running and diving into all of the, the thorny issues and, and the good issues in the district, as well as um, taking on the Republicans in, in Washington, where we continue to see anti-democratic overreach by the House Republicans who are now in the majority. And uh, I think it's been a really successful 100 days. You mentioned meeting with community leaders. I've been spending a, a lot of time in the communities. Uh, around the district and certainly uh, trying to figure out how I can best represent uh, all the different communities in the district and make sure that every community uh, knows what resources are available to them. Congressman, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. And we were speaking just at the top of the program a little bit uh, about the Supreme Court, specifically about Justice Clarence Thomas and some of the revelations, uh, even uh, in the last few hours, in the last day or so, uh, in reporting about uh, more of his financial involvement or entanglement, whatever you might want to call it, with uh, this very wealthy and influential person, uh, 
in the in the uh, Republican Party wanted to ask you about generally your views on the number of continuing revelations about financial activities on the part of uh, Justice Thomas. And then more broadly, what kinds of ethics reforms do you think are merited right now? Well, it's a, it's a great question, Celeste, and, and it's something that I've been focusing a lot on right now. Um, the revelations that continue to come out about Justice Thomas are shocking. Uh, it is amazing to me that a federal judge of any sort, especially a Supreme Court justice, would not recognize the impropriety of taking so much money from one individual who has business interests that go before the court. That's a direct conflict of interest. And we saw Justice Thomas's appearance of a conflict of interest related to his wife and her role in the effort to overturn the 2020 election. And it just underscores the urgent need for the Supreme Court to have a code of ethics that applies to them. Right now, they're the only nine justices in the federal judiciary who do not have a code of ethics. And we need that urgently, but we also need an investigative body, an independent investigative body that that can enforce the code of ethics, because these are judges right now who have lifetime tenure and an error or a violation of the code of ethics um, can only lead to impeachment or a criminal charge for there to be any consequences. And we need more transparency and more accountability to avoid these egregious conflicts of interest. Just to follow up on that, Congressman, obviously the Supreme Court is a different kind of bench. Uh, It's also supposed to be insulated from uh, the, uh, the winds of political change or political animus. How would you structure this kind of ethical body to make sure that it could not be weaponized should that opportunity or that desire arise should not uh, could not be weaponized against a justice specifically for the purpose of embarrassing them or uh, tainting their record or something uh, because of a political disagreement? Well, for that reason, and and you raise very good points and based on our separation of powers, it, it probably makes the most sense for this investigative body to be within the judiciary branch so that there are no political appointments and it is a, an apolitical organization. I guess my, the point I'm trying to make, and, and there, it's sort of done on an ad hoc basis right now in the lower courts, but I think there should be more of a formalized investigative body that is charged with investigating these types of ethics complaints and where you will get more thorough and deeper investigations than what we saw in the aftermath of the New York Times revelation about Justice Alito's cozy relationship with far-right groups, where uh, the New York Times did a months-long investigation and gathered lots of documents, and the Supreme Court took about two days to respond to congressional inquiry about it, and essentially just said, well, Justice, we looked into it, Justice Alito says it didn't happen. That's what our response is. That's insufficient, and so we need something a little bit more robust than that. Uh, Congressman, uh, another story that we've been following has been the, I'll say the war of words between the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, and New York City Mayor Eric Adams over uh, Abbott's plan to send more asylum seekers here to New York City and busing them to a number of cities. The mayor immediately responded, uh, saying that, suggesting that this was a racist move, that he's sending uh, asylum seekers to uh, cities run by black mayors. The mayor seemed to backpedal a bit on that. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on the Texas governor's decision to do this, and also what are the federal obligations here? What can Congress do to be able to help... I mean, obviously funding is an issue that the mayor keeps bringing up, but what is the federal obligation as well? Look, uh, the first thing here is that the Governor Abbott is uh, not surprisingly completely playing politics with human lives and shipping, um, busting people crossing over the border to cities far away from him um, just to make a a political point. And it's, it's cruel and it's inhumane. Um, on the other hand, I think that I, as well as all New Yorkers and the mayor, should be very proud about how we have welcomed these asylum seekers with open arms and that we are continuing to pr- pr- provide them with resources to give them the dignity 
uh, that everyone who has immigrated to this country, as we all have at some point in our ancestry, deserve. You raised the best point here, and uh, which is we need comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, yes, we need the federal government to reimburse the city for some of the expenses, and I've been working very hard on that, talking to the Biden administration, the president himself, Secretary Mayorkas, and pushing very hard to uh, su- to support the city's request for reimbursement of, of the hundreds of millions of dollars that the city has outlaid. But I am very frustrated with my Republican colleagues in Congress who will not engage in meaningful immigration reform. That is what we need. We need to have more asylum judges who can process these asylum applications quickly. We need to have more avenues for lawful visas. Uh, we need to provide a pathway toward um, citizenship. And we need to secure the border. Um, and that goes both ways, by the way. We need to secure the border so that we don't have cartels sending drugs and smuggling humans in, but also so that we are not exporting, the United States is not exporting guns to the cartels to provide them with weapons of war to control the, the human and drug trade. Uh, there's a, a wide variety of issues that need to be addressed. And what's happening right now, and we're going to see it the next week, is that the Republicans are going to present a completely partisan immigration bill that had no input, no discussion with Democrats, that's dead on arrival in the Senate, and it's as if the Republicans don't realize in the House that there's a Democratic majority in the Senate and a Democrat in the President's, uh, the Oval Office. So uh, we would love to engage in meaningful, comprehensive immigration reform. It is desperately needed. But we don't have an honest actor on the other side of the aisle who wants to engage in that. They want to use immigration as a political and partisan wedge issue. And it is disappointing and frustrating for those of us who really do care about uh, making sure we have good and comprehensive immigration reform. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York, also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and we're talking with Congressman Dan Goldman. One more question on asylum seekers uh, in terms of securing the border. A few days ago, the Biden administration announced it would dispatch about 1,500 active duty military personnel to the southern border to help with this expected influx of migrants. This has uh, even had some Democrats criticizing the decision. Where do you stand on this? Well, look, I, I certainly understand the administration's concern with securing the border when Title 42 rolls off. The problem is that the way that they're doing this is, um, I think, counter to counterproductive. Um, we don't want to militarize the border. We don't want um, immigrants coming across the country to be perceived as enemies of the United States. And so the, the message by, by sending these troops is not the right one. But the problem still exists. And it's just another reason why we need to engage in meaningful immigration reform. Um, this is not a problem that is particular to the United States. There are 2.4 million Venezuelans who are in Colombia right now. The Republicans would want you to believe that all these other countries in Central America um, are, are rejecting Venezuelans, who especially who are suffering from serious fear and persecution by an authoritarian government. And they would say that, oh, that Mexico and all these other Central American countries are just ushering all of these refugees into the United States. That's not true. This is a continental problem that needs to be addressed with meaningful reform. And so we're, we're running into a serious issue because uh, we don't have the manpower. And part of not having comprehensive immigration reform means that we don't have the manpower at the border within the Department of Homeland Security to make sure that the steady influx of immigrants trying to cross the border can be done in an orderly way. And that is the problem that there is no really good solution for right now other than uh, comprehensive immigration reform by Congress. 
Congressman Golden, earlier in the uh, program, we were talking about a case that's getting a lot of attention right now, as uh, it deservedly should, that being the case of the death of uh, Jordan Neely in an incident in the subway, chokehold incident in the subway. Uh, that has been ruled a homicide. Wanted to ask you, what do you think should happen in that specific case? And then more broadly, what do you think needs to be happen in terms of uh, safety in the transit system? is specifically when it comes to people who are in mental health crisis? Well, look, it is a an absolute devastating tragedy uh, that Jordan Neely was killed in, in the manner that he was. Um, reg- you know, mental health is not a de- mental health episodes are, should not be death sentences. And I really feel for uh, for his his loved ones, those who are close to him. And, and it's a it's a tragic situation. I expect that the Manhattan District Attorney will evaluate the case very closely. It, the law is, is complicated uh, in this area, and I have a lot of faith in Alvin Bragg to do a thorough investigation to determine whether or not any of the various levels of homicide uh, should apply to um, Jordan Neely's uh, killer, and he'll make that decision. Um, it brings up a really important point that I am very focused on in Congress, and that is that our city, our country, is dealing with a mental health crisis, and there are inadequate resources for people to get long-term mental health care. And part of the reason is an old law that prohibits Medicaid from reimbursing mental health institutions for long-term medical care for their members um, if there are more than 16 beds assigned for mental health treatment. It means that there's completely inadequate care for those who are poor and underserved and suffering from mental health illness. And so later this month, I intend to introduce a bill, hopefully in a bipartisan way, that will eliminate the the limit on the number of beds available for long-term mental health treatment under Medicaid. And that will provide access for people like Jordan Neely to get the mental health treatment they need. It's called the Michelle Goh Act. It's named after Michelle Goh, who was tragically killed by another um, another mentally ill individual uh, a little over a year ago when she was pushed in front of the subway in Times Square. And this is an area that we are really focused on because it has a significant impact on our homelessness, on public safety, on the general order in the subways and in our city. And it's something that I know that the governor has put a billion dollars to in in her budget, uh, which is very important. And we are working on the federal level to attack this crisis that we're facing in terms of mental health. Congressman, I know we only have a few minutes left, and there were two other topics I wanted to make sure we got to. Um, and one of them, obviously, is uh, top of mind because of what we just saw take place in Atlanta yesterday. You have you made uh, this one of the key issues of your campaign, which was uh, um, common sense gun control legislation. And I know that shortly after you entered office, you co-sponsored a package of gun violence prevention legislation that included a ban on assault weapons. Where do things stand? And briefly, what are some of the other pillars of that? Look, uh, what we're seeing in Atlanta and we seem to be seeing almost every day now is a public health emergency of gun violence around our country. And we have weapons of war that are being put in the hands of people who should never touch them. And civilians should not be able to get access to weapons of war, such as assault weapons. Uh, I'm proud to be a vice chair of the House Gun Violence Prevention Task Force, uh, and I've been sponsoring and working, sponsoring a lot of legislation and working very much with our my colleagues because the American Americans are just fed up with this. And there's recent polling that shows unprecedented support almost for any issue that Americans believe, almost 90 percent of Americans believe that there should be universal background checks. Almost as many Americans believe that uh, assault weapons should be banned. Um, We need to have safe storage. We need to raise the age uh, for access to assault weapons. We need to uh, eliminate uh, high-capacity magazines and bump stocks. Uh, There are so many common-sense things that do not take away people's right to own a firearm for self-defense or for hunting. 
but it can seriously curtail the epidemic of gun violence that we're seeing around the country. And I'm not at liberty to speak too much about this, but the only thing I can say is that we Democrats who are really focused on this issue, and that includes myself, have a plan of, even though we're in the minority, we are going to be aggressively pursuing common sense gun safety reform over the course of the next year. And if Republicans do not get on board, then they're going to have to face the consequences at the ballot box. And in the final minute we have, I just want to get in a quick question on congestion pricing, because you and a colleague, Congressman Jerry Nadler, recently had a published column on this, uh, discussing or noting that we're in the final stage of appraisal by the federal government on implementing congestion pricing uh, to be able to get into lower Manhattan. Where do things stand? And uh, briefly, what's your pitch to anyone who might be on the fence about this or opposed to this on why this is something that's needed? Well, first of all, we're, we're waiting right now for the U.S. Department of Transportation to issue what's called a, a finding of no significant impact, which we fully expect them to do. And then New York State can move forward uh, with implementation of a, a plan that will have to be probably the details of which will have to be hashed out. But the congestion pricing is essential to the future of our city, to the future of our environment and the future of public transportation in, in the city right now. Uh, we are dealing in this city with unprecedented levels of pollution, uh, but we are also dealing with a, a decaying and uh, decrepit subway and, and public transportation system that needs serious capital overhaul. We are dealing with um, uh, the future of the environment and electrification of vehicles, including buses. Uh, and we need to start converting to um, more micromobility, more public transportation to reduce congestion in the city to help boost the MTA uh, and help our environment. And the statistics and data from other areas that have uh, gone forward with congestion pricing has been really, really positive and that a significant larger numbers uh, ultimately do take public transportation we're able to create a lot more green space with previously used uh, driving uh, road lanes uh, like London has done, and it significantly reduces pollution, and it will also create a, an essential funding stream for the MTA. So this is a win-win-win um, that I and, and Congressman Nadler are strongly in support of as the representatives of the future Central Business District. And I think there's a lot of trepidation around it, but I'm, I'm confident that the Transit Mobility Board will be able to address a lot of the very uh, detailed and specific concerns related to this. But more broadly speaking, it's something that's really important for, for the city to pursue. Congressman, we really appreciate you taking the time today, and we'd love to continue the conversation. We'd be looking forward to having you back on in the future. But for the moment, if people want to find out more about your work in Congress or want to contact you about an issue that concerns them, where can they go? They should go to www.goldman.house.gov, and we would love for people to reach out to us. Uh, for anything and everything. Uh, we have a, a weekly newsletter, and um, we'd love for people to sign up. And if anyone needs assistance, uh, we, we are eager to help. So thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be on with you and have such a good conversation. Congressman Dan Golden, thank you so much for being with us here today on WBAI. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, here as always with Jeff Simmons, our guest a moment ago, United States Congressman Dan Goldman. And we are going to be switching over in just a short moment uh, to taking your calls. We always love to hear from you on the program, always try to save as much time as we possibly can to hear from real New Yorkers out there about what concerns them, what they're talking about, what they're thinking about. But before that, we just want to take a moment to remind you, we can only bring you these types of conversations with your members of Congress, with your public leaders, with your elected officials, with your help. 
we listen to what you say and uh, callers are always uh, telling us what they want to hear. We try to accommodate that as much as possible, but we do rely on you to keep going. This is listener supported WBAI. We are not commercial. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and that means we need your help. Big Pharma doesn't support WBAI. We are not underwritten by car companies or beer companies or tech companies. It is the donations we get from real New Yorkers that keep us on the air, that sustain us. Every little bit matters. Every $15 or $20 gift you can give either as a single donation or much, much better as a recurring monthly donation through the BAI Buddies program matters. Isn't that right, Jeff? That is right. And in fact, you know, later on in the show, if we get a moment, I'll mention a premium gift that we have for our listeners. Uh, but again, as Celeste noted, we do rely on you. And Celeste and I are volunteers. We're not getting paid by WBAI. We put our heart and our soul into this show. And all of our hosts on WBAI do that because we want you to have the best type of programming. So if you get a chance... You know, we'd love to raise, say, $200 or $250 during the show. Go to WBAI.org and make a donation. Your donation will help sustain us. Remember, we've talked about this a lot. Seven, we have to pay $17,000 a month to be able to broadcast our signal from a top four times square. That $17,000 doesn't come from a check from a wealthy donor like, you know, Clarence Thomas apparently was able to uh, get funds from, according to reports. I'll be careful there. But... That money helps keep us on the air. So, again, if you get a chance, please take just a moment during the show or later on after you have dinner tonight while you're continuing to listen to BAI and go to WBAI.org and make a donation. Right. Remember, once again, this is listener-supported, non-commercial WBAI New York. You're listening to Driving Forces. And if you go to WBAI.org, that's WBAI.org, you can just click the Donate button, become a member of the BAI Buddies program. Just sign up. It only takes a moment. You can give in any amount you choose. If you become a BAI Buddy, that means you show sustaining support with a month donation that keeps us on the air. And remember, WBAI has been here for you for more than 60 years. We would like to be here for at least, at least another 60 years. WBAI.org. And thank you. So if you just tuned in, this is Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM. And as always, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my ebullient co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. That's the word of the day. And we were just talking with Congressman Dan Goldman. We're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, the phone lines are going to be open for your phone calls. And that number to call, 212-209-2877. That number again is 212-209-2877. And we'll wait for those calls to come in. But for now, we're going to leave you with a little Elton John.
Welcome back to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. That was Elton John's Cold Heart with Dua Lipa. I hope I pronounced that right. Our phone lines are now open. Give us a call, 212-209-2877. Once again, 212-209-2877. We'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the topics that Congressman Dan Goldman uh, spoke about. Also, the issue that Celeste and I have talked about as well, which is the death of the uh, 30-year-old homeless man on the subway, on gun control. Love to know what's on your mind this afternoon. I believe, Celeste, we have a call. I think we do. We're going to go right to the phones. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. Now, for our first caller, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yeah, good afternoon. My name is Ed. I'm calling from Queens, New York. How y'all doing? Good. Thanks, Ed. What's your what's on your mind today? No, well, I just wanted to say, um, I worked in the low, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and I used to take the F train up until like about a year ago, before the, uh, a little bit before the COVID. And uh, I, I ran into this guy. You know, I, I didn't know him personally, but uh, he was harmless. I mean, this was totally unnecessary. He would do his little Michael Jackson hustle over there on Broadway and Lafayette. And from time to time, he would get frustrated. And he would go on a rant about how people didn't care about him and things of that nature. But he, the time I rode the train, he was never aggressive. He was loud. I mean, you can always move to another car. But he never, it's my personal experience, he never accosted anybody. And I think these three guys should, should suffer the full extent of the law. Because if, if he, he was harmless. I gave him a couple of bucks once or twice. And he wasn't any threat. Well, I'm glad you called in, Ed, because it's, you know, it's one thing to look at this in the abstract and say somebody, a random person died or somebody, random person got in trouble. But this is actually somebody you not only saw, but interacted with, actually, like, helped out with a few bucks, as you say. I'm just curious to know, Ed, what do you think is going to happen? You, you, you've, you know, expressed your opinion about what you think should happen about the people involved in this, in this death. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a racial component involved. Unfortunately, in this world, we have to deal with that. I believe there were three white individuals, and, and he was a young black man. Um, you know, with the way uh, homelessness is treated in New York City and the, the lack of care for the mentally ill, I, I, I think they might not be charged. I mean, I, at worst, at, at best, manslaughter, um, I, don't know, I don't know the specifics of the case. But mm-hmm. based on my, albeit one-sided view, I've seen this guy on several occasions. It's Brian ne- Jordan Neely, and to, he was never harmful. He, he was never uh, he, he was never aggressive. He was just you could see the weight of the world had weighed on him, and he would just sometimes break off into a tirade. Sometimes I feel like breaking off into a tirade about <laughs> un- injustice, and uh, that was pretty much it. And if you really got on your nerves, you go to another car. That's all. But, uh, no, I, I hear you. I don't think Thank you so much, Ed. Really, really do appreciate your call. 212 209 2877. 
212-209-2877. I'm Celeste katz Marston here with Jeff Simmons. This is Driving Forces on WBAI. Give us a call. What do you think is going to happen in this subway case? What do you think should happen with the people who were involved on this day in this uh, this tragically fatal event with Jordan Neely? 212-209-2877. Going back to the phones, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Daryl McPherson, Bronx, New York. And what's on your mind today? Is it all right if I uh, pass on the, um, the latest drama in the in the subway and, and, and deal with something else? Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Sure, please, go and ahead. All, and may I call you Celeste and Jeff? Sure. Yes, you may. Okay, great. I want to applaud you all for, for, for your pitch, first of all, for WBAI, because the most important thing that I'm attempting to do is to keep Celeste and Jeff broadcasting and streaming on this station because the interview you just did with my congressman, um, well, let's just say it was enlightening. I want to know, I want you to share an opinion with me on New York City. My understanding is there are 100 billionaires that live in New York City. My understanding is also that New York City is governed by the the top, um, okay, let me do it this way, Um, that the top uh, office holders in New York are all held by people of African descent except for the controller. And of those, except for the um, advocate, the controller is probably the best of the other three, and I mean the mayor, Eric Adams, and the city council president, which I have to say that I know her last name is Adams, however, I'm unfamiliar with her. And the police commissioner, which I'm totally unfamiliar with. What okay, I want to know so- is, what I want to know is, why are we experiencing situations like you're just talking about? Why is there homelessness? Why is the mayor constantly screaming about there is zero capital to do what needs to be done? A hundred billionaires live in New York City and I'm confused so what do you what do you I'm you know I'm not trying to turn the okay, question I'm back around on you but I'm, I'm curious do you think that the people who are sort of the ultra wealthy as you say people who are billionaire status or multi-billionaire status do you think they should be doing more like donating me, money do you think they should be taxed at a higher rate uh, you know what do you what do you see as a solution there Celeste our former mayor has a net worth of $94 billion. He's full aware of the problems in this city without having any real cost to any of the billionaires in New York. We could definitely feed, clothe, house, and educate everyone in the city so that we're failing to, so that we would be, so that that gentleman would be alive and the other people would just be going on about their business. The stress level created by monopoly disaster capitalism where the disasters come from the people who have the money we they say there's an inflation right yet every time they broadcast the top earners of a given quarter it's the same people who are charging the highest prices for the goods and services that you get what i want is to a make sure every listener who hears my voice understand that you it's necessary to donate money to the to this station so that this hour attains three hundred fifty dollars. In the context that BAI needs three three million dollars mm-hmm. by October, so if I'm being unclear, just let me know that if there is that much money, that will cost them absolutely nothing. They could do it in loans in which they make the money back in other ways. I mean, there are all kinds of economic manipulation, this suffering is pointless and useless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's because Darryl? of how we... Yes, go ahead. Oh, no, Daryl, I know we're going to have to, I'm going to have to cut you short because I... Let me uh, go, let me go. But but I also want to thank you. I mean, I do want to thank you because you are one of our religiously, um, religious might not be the right word, but you regularly call in to this show, and I'm sure you follow other shows as well, and you've been a very consistent advocate for WBAI, and and both Celeste and I 
really appreciate that because, you know, we put a lot of work into the show. A lot of hosts do. And we like to hear from listeners. And I appreciate when you call on these issues and when you discuss the value of BAI. So thank you so much for giving us a call on the show today. And we look forward to hearing from you again on another show. Thank you. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. Uh, and we appreciate the callers that we have had here. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. We just heard from United States Congressman Dan Goldman. Spoke to him about uh, the Clarence Thomas case. We spoke to him about asylum cases. We spoke to him about the situation in uh, the New York City transit system in the subway. We'd love to hear from you as well. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. A guy just got chokeholded to death in the subway. I figure somebody has something to say about this. 212-209-2877. And as we're waiting for the calls to come in, I mentioned this a little earlier in the show that Celeste and I like to line up gifts for you. So let me just tell you, if you do want to donate, but you want to get something for that donation, well, we have an opportunity for you. And uh, we've been able to line up some tickets to a new show called Eight Tales of Pedro, which is perfor- being performed at the nonprofit theater, Queens Theater in Flushing Meadow, Corona Park. It's been extended. It's going now through May 14th. It was written by a Queens-based playwright, Mark Eugene Garcia. It's an original work. And it's very timely. It focuses on immigration. It's set both in the 17th century Mexico as a man and his companions travel from a small port town. And also in present day Mexico as a van full of immigrants risk everything to be able to cross the border, a topic we've discussed on the show today, to uh, cross the border for a new life. Eight Tales of Pedro has a full uh, Latin cast who retell eight classic Spanish folk tales exploring what it means to be Latin today. So if you want to get a pair of tickets, we have lined up four pairs of tickets for you. Only a $50 donation for a pair. Think about it. I mean, it's almost the value of those tickets. You'd be buying them. Why not donate to WBAI and get a pair of tickets to be able to see a great show? So we're trying to raise $200 during the show, $250 if we can do it. You can donate any amount, but 50 bucks is very close to the price that you would pay for a pair of these. So visit WBAI.org. Go to the premium section on the website. Look for those tickets. That's WBAI.org. And I really have to commend Jeff because Jeff, we are both volunteers here at the station. We do not get compensated for being here on the air with you every Thursday for driving forces. But Jeff really, really, he's a busy guy. Don't, don't, uh, don't make any mistake about it. He is a busy guy, a hardworking guy. He not only co-hosts this program, he co-hosts another program, City Watch on Sundays. You should listen to that one too. But he works super hard to bring in these great premiums, these great gifts to thank you for helping support free speech, non-commercial radio here in New York. And in addition to those great show tickets, which you should definitely check out because that's something very cool and unique. The show is now in an extended run, which means it's worth seeing. So check it out. But, you know, Jeff also worked hard to get us uh, a guest on this program with very interesting conversation with the journalist Daniel Knowles. He is a Midwest correspondent for The Economist. Perhaps you've heard of it. I know you've heard of it. And he got some copies of Daniel Knowles' new book, Carmageddon, How Cars Make Life Worse and What to Do About It. And this is a book about the rise of the automobile and all the costs and struggles that we bear as a result of its control, basically, over our lives. It's a book about his History about economics. It's about the normalization of cars and how much we rely on them and how they change the way we live and also what some cities around the world are doing about that, are effectively doing about that. So, Jeff, the in the uh, Intireable. What is that? Indefatigable. Did I say I that word right? There's certain words I can't easily say, but yes, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Jeff Simmons has gotten us copies of this book, and we will send you one as your thanks if you will donate seventy five dollars to WBAI to keep us on the air. Just go to wbai.org. Give to the station. You can get a copy of this book, which is about a real and really pressing problem. So please go to WBAI.org, make your donation $75 or more, and we will be uh, extremely happy to send you a copy of Carmageddon, How Cars Make Life Worse and What to Do About It. 
And you can thank the one and only Jeff Simmons for that. And what's so interesting, Celeste, as you're talking about this book, and thank you for the praise there, but what's so interesting is that, you know, we just talked with the congressman about congestion pricing. Mm -hmm. You think of, you know, how that's going to impact traffic because, uh, you know, a number of people I've spoken to who aren't even familiar with this, it's something that's so far off until it really hits home that this is going to be a change. You know, the folks, when I kind of educated them on what could be taking place, have said, okay, I'll take the train. That's exactly one of the reasons they want to also do this, to get people onto mass transit so that the city doesn't become as congested. Congested. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. And we just had a program very recently with uh, Jose Martinez, a uh, transportation reporter for the city, and we talked about the rise in the number of incidents of people getting hit by subway trains for all sorts of reasons, uh, wandering around in the tunnels, jumping down on the tracks to get stuff, even jumping to their deaths, you know, intentional uh, collisions with trains. This is something that impacts everybody. This is something that affects the way we live in New York and the way people look at New York, perhaps as a place to live, as a place to work, place to start a business, place to start a family. So the only way we can keep talking about this on the air, bringing you experts, and hearing from you with our call-ins about real people who are affected by these real-life issues. We can't do any of that without your help. Without your help, WBAI will go off the air. This station will go silent, or it'll get bought out by somebody, you know, maybe from outside the city, somebody who doesn't care about New York City, somebody who doesn't care about the success of New York City, or having honest conversations about the problems of New York City. Please, you can make a difference today. Every dollar helps. Please, go to WBAI.org and lend your support today. Look for the donate button. WBAI.org and thanks. And I know we're going to have to wrap up the show shortly. I was just checking online, folks, to see if there's been any developments in the last hour regarding the Jordan Neely uh, death. And the closest I could find, just so you know, is that NYPD detectives and Manhattan prosecutors met Thursday or discussed Thursday possible criminal charges against the former Marine uh, who is uh, who was caught on camera uh, choke holding? Uh, I'm not sure if that's an exact word, but you know, with the chokehold death of Jordan Neely. So if we uh, that's something you want to de- definitely monitor for the rest of the day. Uh, before we go, we want to thank our guests today: U.S. Uh, Congress Member Dan Goldman, also the amazing Reggie Johnson for keeping today's show running smoothly. Of course, our listeners like uh, Ed and Daryl who called in today. Thank you so much from Queens and the Bronx, if I'm correct. We are off next week. So uh, you still should tune into WBAI, but Celeste and I will be back with you on May 18th with some more great guests. And remember, we upload, well, Celeste uploads every edition of our program to SoundCloud, Apple, and Stitcher so you could subscribe and never miss a show. And please don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Facebook too. We will see you on the radio in two weeks. So have a great evening.